Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of 16 Minutes. I'm Sonal, your host, and this is our show where we talk about what's in the headlines, why they matter from our vantage point, and in particular, tease apart what's hype, what's real when it comes to tech trends. This week, we have two separate episodes, both available in the show feed and both about gaming, but based on two very different news. One is on the news that the FDA approved the very first video game that can be prescribed as a medicine for ADHD. Well, this episode is about the trend of social, mobile, and cloud gaming, and more specifically, messenger games, online avatars, and identity, and more, all based on the recent announcements coming out of last week's Snap Partner Summit. To be clear, none of the following should be taken as investment advice. Please see a6nc.com slash disclosures for more information. And let me first quickly summarize the highlights, and then I'll introduce our experts so we can go broad and talk about the bigger picture. So super quick, Snap announced a new navigation or what they're calling an action bar with five buttons. One is map, which is sort of their play on Google Maps, and it includes information about friend location, the ability to mark places and more. The second is conversations, which includes messaging and games, as well as something new that they're calling Snap Minis, but essentially is mini programs or apps within apps, which is something that Chinese apps and WeChat has done for a while and Connie Chan's written a lot about. The third button is camera. So Snap referred to itself as a camera company when they went public. And there's a lot about AR or augmented reality in there. And then the fourth button is stories, which used to be called discover and includes stories from friends, subscriptions, recommendations, more. And finally, the fifth button is discover, which includes happening now, sort of like a news aggregator, as well as Snap originals on the content side. So that's a quick summary. So now let me welcome our experts for this segment. We have two A6NZ partners from the consumer team, Jonathan Lai, who covers gaming and was previously head of BD for North American Tencent and was also product manager at Riot Games, and Andrew Green, who spent 20 years in gaming from Take-Two to Atari to Electronic Arts to Tinyco, and whose role spanned everything from marketing and brand to product development. Welcome, guys. Excited to be on. Thank you. So I have to say, I was kind of frustrated because I feel like everyone just sort of reports on here's the future instead of actually saying why it matters. So I'd love to hear your kind of quick take on why you think this matters. Just starting off, I think it was a reminder that Snapchat is still a massive social network. Um, and just a couple of the numbers that stood out to me from the Partner Summit, it reported that in the US, um, Snapchat now reaches nearly 75% of 13 to 34-year-olds, which is more than Facebook and Instagram. And its base of uh, U.S. users, which is, is clocking in at around 100 million, is more than TikTok and Twitter combined. One thing that excited me is that people think of Snapchat as a, as a messaging platform or as a social network, but it also has tremendous potential as a new gaming platform as well. So let's actually talk about the significance of Snap Games. One of the announcements were that Snapchat and Zynga, which is a well-known mobile game developer, have a new game. So Snapchat Games has actually been around since 2019, but they now have, I think, over a dozen new games. And, and let me just add a bit of color in that as well. Like, yes, like the Snap Gaming platform was announced last year, um, but it's been very quiet. This was sort of a big reveal for them because they sort of came out age and said, hey, 100 million people have played Snap games so far. And that number is, is staggering for, you know, sort of a year one of any new gaming platform. Right. They also reported it was like 20 minutes a day, which is actually quite significant for mobile games. If you really think about it in aggregate, when you're thinking about social snackable experiences, these sort of micro waiting moments of people playing while waiting in line two minutes here and there, 20 minutes adds up. Totally. 
And I think it's because they started off on the social side and then they're moving into games. Ah, what you're really saying there is that this is kind of the inversion where most gaming platforms are not necessarily social native. They try to build on the game, whereas Snap is uniquely social first. Yeah. Most of the time when you're speaking with game developers, they start with gameplay first. And then sometimes the social, the multiplayer elements are something that they add in sort of as a secondary effect. There's one other really interesting thing about the way Snap approached gaming in general, which is the way they approached the business and partnership side. They didn't want to be focused on scale initially. They wanted to be focused on quality. Whereas if you look at how Apple and Facebook approached their partnerships is they basically created an open platform with a lower barrier to entry and then uh, a minimal amount of curation. A lot of the games that ended up coming through the messenger platform ended up being, you know, like fast follows and Snap said, no, this is not going to be open to everyone. We're going to talk to and work directly with the very few developers that we want to work with. And Evan was actually involved in each of those decisions of what games they were going to make. That's so Jobsian. So what's really interesting is that low friction entry into games, like democratizing access to games, is also a huge selling point of another hot segment of game development right now called cloud gaming. So if you recall, cloud gaming is um, all about streaming games from a server, similar to how Netflix streams video. The user could be in a laptop, could be in an iPad, could be in a Chromebook, but they could play a very high-end AAA game like Red Dead Redemption, for example, Um, with just a a really good internet connection. And as long as they have a monitor to output it to you, all of the computations done in the back end in the server. And a lot of very well-capitalized tech companies have been investing in the space from from Google to Microsoft to Amazon to Tencent to NVIDIA. The interesting thing is Snap is coming up with sort of social first messenger games that are uh, primarily HTML5. So they're fairly simplistic. Um, They run directly from uh, a chat canvas. So inside the message, You could consider it sort of approaching cloud gaming, but from the lower end of the market instead of the high end. They're very cheap to stream because you're not streaming sort of gigabytes of data. You can send these games on on the back of text messages, right? But still has a lot of the benefits of cloud gaming, but without sort of the the overhead and the cost. This race from the HTML5 side is is really interesting because people don't put them in the same camp as Google Stadia or Microsoft Xbox, but maybe they should. Like maybe the dark horse that actually takes off in the cloud gaming war is actually like very casual, low-end games like these messenger games. Totally. What's interesting about looking at HTML5 games on the lower end is that to make them function really well, Snap curating the experiences so that the best experiences get the share of, of viewership and play. Because what makes these games great are strong social graphs without the the strong social graph, the retention aspect of them kind of falls apart. I don't think it's an accident, by the way, that the games are actually in the conversations tab of all the five buttons on the new Snap interface. Yeah. One point of reference in terms of um, understanding the potential here is to look at what's happened in China with uh, with Tencent and and WeChat. Um, So I I used to work for Tencent for four years. And while I was there, we launched a mini game called um, Tiao Tiao, um, that the English translation is roughly uh, Jump Jump, HTML5 game that's very similar to the stuff that Snap is putting out right now, um, where you're basically, as a player, just jumping from one block to another. The game reached 100 million daily active users in just, I think, a matter of weeks. And I think it peaked at sort of three to 400 million DAE over the next few months. 
that's the population of the U.S. like logging in daily to play the single game. But what about jump, jump? Because I I'm never impressed with numbers when people talk about China because China is so huge in scale. So uh-huh. I'm actually more interested in the in the the be- underlying behavior there. Like, what about that drove that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I'm I'm glad you asked that. So with the messaging game, you have so many built-in advantages that other apps have to fight tooth and nail for. One, your social graph is already directly integrated into the game, since in general, if you're running this as part of a message, right? And then whoever is in your contacts book, it's just a click away from sort of inviting them to play with you. And then third, monetization is typically already built in um, because you've added your wallet to you know WeChat, or in this case, Snapchat, um, or Apple Pay or Venmo, et cetera, already. And so these are huge advantages that, you know, if you're a new game or even a new smartphone app in general, you have to fight for. For example, when you download a new app, how many times have you seen the option to like connect to add all of your friends? But then you decided not to because you didn't have the time or you didn't want to spam people. A lot of people talk about mobile games, but this is actually more specifically messaging-based games mm-hmm. and that there's a built-in graph. People talk about that, the phone book being the original social network, right? Exactly. That it has this inherent kind of virality potential because of the ability to quickly share it. Messages are all about sharing and communicating. And then the built-in monetization when you're connected to the wallet. Andrew, given that you worked on Messenger games in your previous life, what are some thoughts you have on on that side? Yeah, the thing about HTML5 that is so incredible is the speed at which it can get you into an experience, first and foremost. And I think that that's a huge part also of the nature of the kind of virality is that when you receive kind of a message from a friend that you're you know part of in the graph and you tap on it, There's no like major load time or download or tutorial. You are immediately in the game. The other part of the dream of it is like, let's say you're playing uh, an MMO and I send you some type of contextualized action. I need you to help defend. The, The idea could be that you might not even need to jump in the game, but you could execute an action that computes because there's a way of tying in like cloud gaming as we're thinking about it in the thesis in terms of on-device as well for mobile. And there's cloud gaming that are accessing like, you know, a virtualized version of a game. So what are the implications of that? You know, on mobile, uh, you currently are merchandised primarily through App Store and Google Play. And the monetization layers there already have a take rate on all of the in-app purchases. So primarily right now, advertising revenue is the, is the best way to monetize these games. And Snap has focused primarily or entirely on advertising revenue versus IAP. But again, in cloud gaming, you'll have multiple different types of revenue sources that make the economics a bit more viable than just advertising revenue. I'd, I'd actually love to see if Snap can come up with more innovative monetization techniques than, than the advertising-driven models that are, that are common to your point in casual and hyper-casual games because they have so many unique assets, a user base that's trained to use the camera, for example. And then they have this entire community that's built around Snapchat lenses, which are essentially augmented reality filters that you know can add smoke effects, et cetera. And so, for example, what if Snapchat were to make a game that was similar to Pokemon Go, where um, you're sort of walking around your city or you're traveling And each of these landmarks, instead of collecting Pokemon, you're collecting special snap lenses that are 
custom design just for that location. So for example, if you're in San Francisco, you can go to the Golden Gate Bridge and maybe you get a special golden lens that turns everything brownish red gold. And it's only available if you go to the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, I love that. It's so interesting because actually it is a perfect intersection of how all these worlds collide because their whole feature set around maps that they announced recently is super significant because Eugene Way once had this wonderful tweet, I'll link to it in the show notes, where he once talked about Google should have actually tried making maps their social network Uh instead of all their other attempts at doing that. But what you're saying ties more broadly to the theme of contextual computing, which is where location really comes in, because they actually allow in their new feature maps like various local things to be annotated, not just landmarks. So that's pretty significant. Totally. You can imagine an entire virtual economy developing around this game, you know, similar to something that you might see in, in Fortnite, except it's happening on the back of like Snap Maps and Google Maps, essentially. Instead of trying to monetize maps with like advertising, you could try to create, um, for example, a marketplace around these like lenses or these sort of like these filters that people are making. Some people over in Paris that have like Eiffel Tower lenses and if they wanted to trade with someone in San Francisco, there should be a marketplace for that and, and a way for supply and demand to equilibrate it at different prices. And so um, I'd love to see if Snap can figure out a way of like integrating those things into their games because it opens up a whole swath, I think, of of monetization methods. I wonder if Bitmoji is like the Trojan horse to that, actually. What's really interesting about what you're saying is that you're essentially creating worlds beyond apps, beyond messages, beyond location, beyond, you know, big uh, role-playing games. You're kind of stitching together a layer of games everywhere. It's like ubiquitous gaming almost. And so one thing that's super interesting to me then is the Bitmoji bit, which I don't think people talked about enough. Of course, people were super interested when Snap acquired Bitmoji. And then last year, you know, they announced Bitmoji for games, but didn't actually open it up until this recent announcement. And by the way, two of the games that really caught my eye, and I think it's really interesting that Snap is actually branding a set of games with Bitmoji Plus X, is Bitmoji Tennis and Bitmoji Paint. I I totally agree. And just to kind of refresh um, everyone like Bitmoji was started off as an app that lets people create these sort of stylized cartoon avatars of themselves. And Snap is essentially extending Bitmoji from just an app or like a keyboard into a full-on platform. They didn't talk a lot about this, but I feel like the long-term vision where they're going with this is that they're building Bitmoji up into an identity system. And the idea of the Bitmoji is that you've already created this avatar, which is um, personal, it's stylized, it is you. And I use the word identity system as sort of a reference to a building block of the metaverse. It's the concept of sort of a, a series of virtual worlds um, that's connected through essentially a, a single identity that you can bring with you from, you know, world to world, from app to app, et cetera, which you know, I, I know is something that we're all very excited about after watching, you know, Ready Player One and, and the Oasis. There's been a big history in platforms trying to build and create that. You had a uh, Nintendo with Miis on, you know, Wii and Wii U. You had, um, you know, Xbox Live and uh, PlayStation Home. And everyone tried to create an initial avatar platform, but no one's kind of built that central building block yet. That really is the one that everyone's going to start building games on top of. I agree 100% that the most interesting theme to me here is about identity. But what's also very interesting, and it's funny because you talk about cloud gaming, 
John and Andrew, you're talking about this sort of being like this kind of thing that people have tried many times. The big difference between Ready Player One and you mentioned the Oasis is the Oasis is actually a world owned by one entity. And that's actually part of the issue here. So is mm-hmm. it really true that avatars will really likely travel like from Snap games to Nintendo games to PlayStation games to, you know, Fortnite and other worlds? Like what's hype? What's real on that? If you ask the crypto team, they would say yes, uh, because the blockchain gaming thesis is that one day you will be able to own your avatar and then sell your avatar, and that's trackable. Or I, I can start a character, get it up to level 80, and then someone who doesn't want to grind can buy that level 80 character from me. But if I want to keep that identity forever, I can. Even when that company dies, that avatar still lives in a contract and someone else can build a game that utilizes those contracts. Yeah. It's a a hardly contested question in whether there there should be a single metaverse or sort of series of metaverses. And I think, Andrew, to your point, like it it, kind of has to break down based upon system, right? So if you're thinking about it from like a payments perspective, totally, I agree it makes sense to have a unified sort of payments infrastructure. It doesn't make sense to have different currencies between different virtual worlds. When it comes to things like your, like your social network and your graph there, I think that's a more interesting one because if you look at the history of social networks, right, like there hasn't been one one social network to rule them all, right? Like you have LinkedIn, you have Facebook, you have Snapchat, and you could argue that like Fortnite and Roblox are, are social networks in themselves as well. I'm personally very excited about Bitmoji Paint, where millions of people are coming together on a single planet to essentially uh, draw on the floor of the planet. And everyone can like draw like one tile at a time. And I'm, I'm really excited about it because some really awesome things have been created in the user-generated sandbox games like Roblox, right? This is in stark contrast to sort of game developers, you know, in Activision and Electronic Arts, Microsoft, EA. They're, you know, highly scripted sort of uh, productions where they kind of know how the story starts and ends. Like you give a community to, of people the tools to unleash their creativity and, and amazing things have happened. And the only way that that happens is through your avatar being there or some form of self-expression or or collaborative expression. So I think what's really interesting about what you're both saying about the social aspect and where cloud gaming and where mobile and messaging doesn't come in is at the end of the day, this kind of reminds me, for those of us who grew up gaming kind of in the day, of sort of the side-by-side social gaming. And Will Wu actually made this observation as well. You're kind of looking at games on the same screen with your friends, like you're sharing the screen and playing with them. And there's something super powerful about that, given Snap's mission to really always give room for self-expression, as well as making things about really connecting you to your real friends. And so while Mm -hmm. we may bandy about these terms like social and, and consoles and cloud gaming, at the end of the day, it brings it back to this bottom line of expression and connection. And kind of a meta comment is that the Snap Partner Summit itself, which took place all remote, gave you the illusion, if you watch the video, of being in the same screen, the same background. Everyone was kind of stitching their experiences together, all virtually as if that were happening in real life. I'd love to now hear what's the takeaway on the Snap Partner Summit and the broader view of tech trends. Bottom line it for me. There are more potential gamers out there than have ever been, and there are also more ways to access and play games than ever before. Snapchat, with its new HTML5 gaming platform, it's it's a new entrant into the space and, and one that I'm particularly excited to watch because 
unlike other game companies, they come sort of social first. And then, you know, we have multiple folks working on the building blocks of the metaverse from Snapchat with Bitmoji, the Epic Games of Fortnite, the Roblox of its user-generated communities. Um, and so it's probably just one of the most innovative and exciting times to be looking at games and, and social more broadly. Well, thank you guys for joining this segment of 16 Minutes. Thank you. Thank you.